Hey, Beaver Nation, it's time to get inside the huddle with the Damn Podcast. The Damn Podcast is your weekly ticket to Oregon State football and recruiting news. Here's your host of the Damn Podcast, BeaverBlitz.com publisher, Angie Machado. Welcome back to another episode of the Damn Podcast. I'm your host, Angie Machado. With me, as always, is BeaverBlitz.com beat writer, Carter Baines. Carter, that was quite a game last night in Corvallis. What, did, what, what are your initial quick thoughts from that Utah win? My main takeaway is that that was one of the more entertaining games I've seen from the Oregon State football team in a long time. I mean, to come out of the gates like they did, get down 14 within the first probably five minutes or so, uh, and then storm back like they did in the second half, it really was a tale of two halves. And uh, for them to come out with a with an eight-point victory, they were up by double digits you know, moments before the game ended, really impressive for them to come back and, and perform the way they did in that second half to beat what looks like one of the best teams in the Pac-12. Yeah, I, I, think, this, I think Utah was the best team that the Beavers have played thus far what what are your thoughts on that I completely agree yeah I mean USC at, at the time looked pretty solid I know that you know they had not necessarily played up to expectations but with that talent you know beating them is always an accomplishment Washington I think we thought was a little better than they actually are when Oregon State played them um, and so Utah you know I think has proven more than than either of those teams for sure yeah. Let's, let's rewind a little bit to the start of that game. You know, Utah has been reeling um, from the loss of Aaron Lowe um, in a shooting accident. And that was so I, it's, it's really kind of eerie how that happened with Ty Jordan, who passed away, like same school, same best friends. Uh, Lowe took his Jersey, took the 22 Jersey this year. So um, a lot of tragedy in the past nine, 10 months for the Utah program. And classy move by by Oregon State they left 22 roses on the 22 yard line for uh, Utah and then had a the 22 logo and then I also had 22 second moment of silence um what was the the feeling about uh, did you talk to anybody from Utah or, or get their thoughts on that I didn't speak individually to anyone from Utah but I know that um you know coach Whittingham was was really pleased with what Oregon State did and um I know a lot of the, the Twitter reaction and, and just kind of the outsiders um, were, were really blown away with Oregon State's hospitality and um, what they did to recognize both Aaron Lowe and Ty Jordan. I, I think it was a, you know, it was a really classy move by Oregon State because at the end of the day, this is bigger than football. Um, it, you know, they, they were playing a football game on Saturday, but uh, those are real people on the other sideline. And, you know, they recognized the tragedy and, um, between the moment of silence, the roses, you know, there, the atmosphere before the game was a little somber. And um, I think that was, you know, I think that was fair. I, I think it was, um, yeah, I'm trying to find the right word for it. Fair isn't the right word, but um, it was, it was appropriate, you know, to kind of take a step back. And I think Oregon State handled it really well. Yeah. I, I know ASU had worn the little stickers, the same stickers that Oregon State had on the, had on the, the tunnel, but um yeah, just a really classy move. It reminded me back when Coach Riley was at Nebraska and they lost their punter, um, or there was a punter that was, and they left roses for his number. It reminded me of the same thing. So anyway, um, very classy move, and it is. It's bigger than football, and these guys are brothers. 
whether they're on off field, they, they can identify with that. Um, let's talk about that game though, because it started off the first, you know, eight minutes was 14, zero Beavs get down. And, uh, I, I saw some other people in the media mentioning, Oh, well, maybe the fans will start heading for the exits now. What were your thoughts? I mean, coach Smith is always so even keel, but were you thinking, Oh boy, they, they, uh, are still half asleep from bye week. Well, it's a good thing the fans didn't head for the exits, right? I mean, they would, they would have missed a heck of a game. Um, yeah, I think everybody in the stadium was kind of thinking, what on earth? Like, what did Oregon State do over the bye week? Um, we, we know they practiced. We know they were watching film. But uh, it, it looked like uh, they, they weren't even remotely ready to go. I mean, in, in all three phases, you had the defense giving up a scoring drive on the, that first possession, the offense fumbles at its own one yard line. And then on special teams, a bad snap and Luke Losher can barely get a punt away. And then Utah obviously starts with great field position and, and scores again. It was um, a comedy of errors to be, yeah. to be quite frank. Uh, but, but credit to Oregon state for bouncing back. And, you know, I think Jonathan Smith, even he addressed it after the game. He said, yeah, in that moment, I was like, how on earth did we even get to this point where we're, we're playing like this out of the gate. Um, but I think they kind of, they kind of banded together on the sideline, you know, the, the leadership on this team has never been in question. And I think it, it really came through uh, and Oregon state bounced back with a scoring drive and they were pretty much off to the races from there. Yeah. It's, it, it was fun to watch and I'm not going to, I mean, following the, the thread, the game thread in the lodge was quite entertaining. I, I know one of our, one of our members said he does, he never reads it during the game, but goes back the next morning and it's, it is seriously an, an absolute roller coaster. And I, I mean, I was right there because I, I tried to be active in that thread. And there was that point with the, the two number eights when you had Elijah Jones and Trevon Bradford on special teams after um, when you had an Omar space had ran it back and then it all got called back on that uh, Utah punt that uh, I, I made, might've thought the sky was falling a little bit in that lodge thread myself. So, um, so what went right then? What, what is your biggest takeaways um, offense and defense, what went right for Oregon State? Well, offensively, it's the same story every week. I mean, the running game, you know, averaging 6.3 yards per carry, another 260 yards on the ground on 41 carries, and they found the end zone three times on the ground, too. Uh, it starts with B.J. Baylor. Well, actually, it starts with the offensive line. I mean, yeah, yeah. We, we have to give them credit week in and week out because what these running backs and, and what Chance Nolan is able to do on the ground um, that is all a testament to what I think is easily the best, the best offensive line in the Pac-12 and, and arguably one of the top five units in the country. Um, but the running game, yeah. I mean, B.J. Baylor, 152 yards and a touchdown. Trey Lowe averaged 17.7 per carry, and he had a couple of huge third-down conversions. Teron Bradford and, and Anthony Gould get involved in the fly sweep game. They both had touchdowns uh, in the running game, and Really, the only thing that didn't work was Deshaun Fenwick, who averaged two yards per carry, and uh, yeah. we, we know what he's capable of. So offensively, running game easily was was the, the highlight for sure. Are you surprised by that? I mean, because Utah comes in with probably the, the best uh, front seven that we've seen, and it's no it, it shouldn't be a surprise to any team now that Oregon State wants to run the ball. Um, were you surprised that they were able to run the ball as well as they did against Utah? 
at this point, I almost feel like I have to say no. I mean, they've done it against so many good teams to this point, um, dominating USC at the point of attack. Washington always has a really good defense. Uh, to be able to, to find as much success as they have uh, starting in the trenches and then capitalizing with the speed at running back against those high-level defenses, I can't say that I am surprised. I, I do think that I, I would have imagined Oregon State would have had to lean a little bit more on the passing game to win this. Um, but still, I mean, Oregon State is just proving that it is dominant in the running game regardless of who it plays. So I don't even know if we can really be surprised anymore. Yeah, I, it's interesting, too, because Oregon State has struggled for so many years now. Um, I think it's easy to maybe step back and just be like, oh, they got lucky or yes, the O-line's good. But um, and I think that maybe the casual fan can see that, you know, or think that way. but. At this point, I do have to, I mean, you have to agree that Oregon State's running game, it's, it is the strength of this offense. And, and you and I actually came into the season thinking the passing game was going to be the strength. Are you, are you surprised that the passing game is not more prominent? Yeah, but I think it's almost out of necessity, right? I mean, like, if, you're, if your running game, and we've talked about this before and and everything of how you need to do what's what's working for you and if the running game is as successful as it is you don't need to pass the ball very often and if you're not throwing the ball with a ton of consistency you're um, with a bunch of regularity that makes it a little harder to get consistent because it's hard to get into a rhythm um, and so i think that's you know probably part of it but credit to chance nolan this week for bouncing back i i know that um, in the moment it might might not have seemed like he was having a very good game but the guy completed 74% of his passes, 208 yards and two touchdowns. That's a very, very efficient game. Uh, he graded out substantially higher than Cameron rising who had a pretty good game himself too. So credit to it Nolan. Was a, um, it was a I, sneaky I, good game for him. I mean, I, I said yeah. this and she said, um, because I, I think when I'm sitting here, when I just think chance Nolan, Utah, I I'm thinking that fumble where he took off, not protecting the ball. He was like, he, he looked like he was playing street ball, like ball in his hand, motioning for the court and, and of course it gets knocked out turnover so that's what sticks in my head but like you said looking at his stats 14 of 19 208 yards two touchdowns and a, yeah 74 percent completion rating that's that's a really, really good game you really can't ask for more from a quarterback who only throws 19 passes in a game i mean yeah. the production that you're getting there on a small sample size is really about as good as it gets so yeah um, he needed it too, you know, after, after two down weeks, a bye week to kind of um, adjust what wasn't working, you know, g- give him a ton of credit for bouncing back the way he did. How about defensively? What were, I mean, I know we, you and I both have been very critical, especially after the Washington state game of, you know, defense, third down defense. Um, what are your, your takeaways? I mean, again, Avery Roberts is a stud, but um, what, what are your thoughts? Yeah, Roberts is the, the MVP of the game by far. You know, um, Devin Lloyd at linebacker for Utah was second in the Pac-12 in tackles behind Roberts. And then Roberts goes out and doubles his tackle total. Um, Lloyd obviously had to leave early for targeting, but Roberts really capitalized with 16 tackles, one of them for a loss, a pass breakup, and a quarterback hurry. Uh, just an all-around, another outstanding productive game for, for Avery Roberts. But the key for Oregon State's defense in this game, and I think the thing that stood out the most was the two goal line stands. Um, to get fourth down stops twice on the goal line 
really impressive. And they were in clutch situations too, when Oregon State needed a stop. And especially that last one is Utah's looking to get back in the game um, to go down and for Alex Austin to get that pass break up where he's covering two guys, mind you. Um, if, if you go back and watch the play, I remember watching it in real time thinking, man, Oregon State needs to call a timeout here because there was a bit of a personnel, um, I, I don't know if it was a miscommun miscommunication or something, but Oregon State only had 10 guys on the field. And so Rajon Wright comes sprinting off the sideline into the defensive formation and he's kind of lost, you know, he doesn't really know what his assignment is. Rising snaps the ball and, and Wright's still trying to figure out where to go. You've got Utah sending two receivers to the left and Alex Austin's the only guy over there. So Rising saw the mismatch um, and, and threw to the guy who was on the goal line. Alex Austin comes up and makes a huge play to knock that ball away. Uh, that was probably, in my opinion, one of the plays of the game um, outside of maybe the, the punt, re punt return for a touchdown. But yeah, that, credit, to, credit to the defense for a couple yes. of huge stops on the goal line. And, and I, I just want to give a, two shout-outs because both of those were on – made by players who I have been critical of. Um, um, Alton Julian made the first one. And, um, and I've, I've talked about this before on, on this year's pod, but last year I, I really questioned, you know, he was recruited as a cornerback out of the JUCO ranks, brought him in as a safety. They wanted to, to move him into safety. And last, last season, he played like a corner, like he did not want to, to make those big hits in the open field. And credit to him, I, I honestly didn't know if if this experiment would work out, I didn't know if he would ever become physical enough to play safety and credit to him. He has that hit he made um, on that fourth down was huge. I hope his knee injury isn't as bad as it looked. Um, but I know you saw him after the game on crutches and all iced up. So. Yeah, it, it doesn't look great to be completely honest. I, I think we'll find out more when we talk to Jonathan Smith tomorrow in his weekly press conference. But um, yeah, I, I saw him walking out of the Valley football center on crutches and he had that got a huge ice wrap on his right knee um, and kind of an ace bandage going all the way down his leg. So I, I don't exactly know what it is, but it does look like a knee injury. And considering how long he was down on the field uh, and the way he looked walking out of the stadium, this looks like it has the potential to be a season ender, but I'm, I'm not going to make any assumptions. So I, I, I'm guessing we won't learn a ton from Smith unless it is an ACL and he's out. Uh, for the rest of the year because, and, and, you know, I'm just going to throw it out there. I, I have a feeling we'll just, he'll just continue to be at the top of the depth chart too. <laughs> <laughs> much um, to the, uh, much to the ire of certain uh, Beaver Bullets members. Yes. For sure. Yes. So it'll, it'll drive them crazy. Um, the other player that I do want to just give props to is Alex Austin, because that play, I mean, I, when I first saw it, I thought, crap, there's a touchdown. And for him to bat it away like he did. Um, and this is a guy who, you know, gotten beat like a drum several times this season again you know drake he's had to you know guard uh defend drake london from usc probably i mean the best wide receiver possibly in the country um but for him to step up i think we saw him grow up a lot right in front of our eyes and it, it's kind of reminiscent and, and time will tell whether this is true but it, it reminds me a little bit of the days of you know keenan lewis and how many times that you know Dennis Christopher and Keenan Lewis got beat and beat and beat and Beaver fans were almost done. And, and then they turned out to be two of the best in, in our, in Oregon state recent history. So um, very big shout outs to those two, because yes, I can be critical, but I also like to try to be uh, complimentary when it, when it's earned. So um, the other thing I noticed Carter 
and I don't, you might not have seen it up in the box, but holy cow, was Utah getting a, away with holds left and right? Like, if, if I see the holds, they're obvious. Yeah, I did see a couple of those. Um, I was actually more kind of blown away by how many false starts I thought they got away with. It seemed yeah. like it was either somebody on their line or the quarterback on, on most plays. One of those things, um, somebody was moving early. Yeah. And yeah. I, I don't know, you know, maybe what the quarterback was doing pre-snap was legal. I know he got caught once uh, for, for a false start, but there was some movement on, on a lot of plays. And I was surprised that we didn't see more flags, but the holdings, yeah, I, I did see a couple. Um, but, you know, Oregon State, they, they've got to clean it up, man. I mean, I, let me pull up the, the penalty numbers here real quick, but Oregon State was penalized way too much in this game. Oh, and yeah. That was, of course, They a were penalized 11 USC. times for 114 yards compared to Utah's four penalties for 35 yards. Yeah, and a, a lot of those penalties were warranted. I mean, mm-hmm. Oregon State just didn't play a clean game. And a lot of that was um, – a lot of that showed up in the, the first half when Oregon State wasn't playing very well. Yeah. But I thought they cleaned it up um, later in the game when they started taking control. But in that first stretch where they got down 14 nothing, they had three penalties for something like 45 yards. Yeah, That's unacceptable. Yeah. So what did we learn? Do you think we – do you – okay, change this up a bit. So I, I love from the offense, the second half of the game, we saw a ton of misdirection. And, and I've been talking a lot about running that fly motion the fly sweep motion, just to keep, keep uh, defenses honest. Do you think that we're even scratching the surface of the playbook with that? Oh, probably not. I mean, a lot of that just does set up opportunities for you. Um, I, I'll give the, the play callers credit. Brian Lindgren and Jonathan Smith have done a pretty good job of, of mixing things up with that fly motion because we've seen, um, you, you know, we've seen them obviously handed off for the fly sweep, but then it's also been used as a, kind of a misdirection to, to get the defense looking one way and then you run it the other way uh, with B.J. Baylor, Deshaun Fenwick. So they have been mixing it up a little bit. And I think what you're going to see as the season goes on is that success that Oregon State has had with that package and that formation, uh, the Beavers are going to recognize that and they're going to start to kind of use that to their advantage to where, you know, sometimes you say you want the passing game to set up the running game this formation sets up the running game and that it gives you a lot of different things that you can do with it. Um, yeah, so I, I love keep, it. keep an eye on, on Gould and Bradford. Cause I think those are probably the two guys in particular that are going to continue to get a lot of reps in the running game. Both of them had had great success um, on against Utah. So defense, the second half, let's just, let's just talk second half. Is that what you expected to see from, is this the defense you expect to see? Was this um, just a good matchup? I mean, what, what are your thoughts on the defense? I mean, the first half, I mean, I think we, so they had eight, I think they, they had eight third down conversions, eight of eight is what Washington state was the second half. And then it went into, I think that finally was 14 to 14 before Oregon state finally had a stop on third down. First half was a little shaky, but it's the second half defense. Is that what you think is, is uh, this defense or do you think their identity is more give up third downs? And I really don't even know what to make of this defense anymore. <laughs> uh, Utah went seven of 15, which is just under 50% and kind of right on par with, uh, with Oregon state's third down defense for the year. So I think this was, you know, probably just kind of who Oregon state is on third down Ben, okay. but don't break um, 
And it's what we've seen the last couple of years really is Oregon State's going to let you move down the field pretty easily, but it does have a tendency to, to kind of strengthen in the red zone. Um, and Oregon State, to its credit, has come away with quite a few takeaways. Um, goal line stands, it's forced a lot of field goals in the red zone under Jonathan Smith. And so for all of the deficiencies that you see on third down and, you know, third and 15 from midfield or a third and 10 from the 30, um, they make up for it in the red zone. And ultimately that's, that's where you make your money in, in the red zone. So give the defense some props there, but I think, uh, I think it would make it a little easier on everyone if they got off the field a little bit more often uh, and, and force those, oppo- those opposing punters to, to put in some work every now and then. Let's talk about the punting a little bit because Oregon State special teams, aside from that two number eights on the field at the same time, which was hugely costly at the time, luckily it didn't cost the beefs too much um, in the game, but that block, scoop, and score <coughs> by uh, Luke Musgrave, was that the turning point? Do you think that is what uh, turned the game around for Oregon State? If if it wasn't that, it was the touchdown on the drive prior because Oregon State did score a touchdown on the opening drive of the second half. And that was what Jonathan Smith pointed to after the game as kind of the momentum changer. But I, I think the momentum changed for good when Musgrave returned that punt for a touchdown because, I mean, that was probably the most electric play of the year. And one of the more electric plays I can remember of, of this Smith era where you have a, a true game-changing play against a good team in a big-time spot. I mean, it, it really doesn't get much more electric than that, right? Like, you have Luke Musgrave, who's never scored a touchdown in his career on, on offense. Which is so crazy. I mean, to think about that, that he hasn't. Exactly. He's come close a couple of the times. But he goes in, he tips the, the punt. Riley Sharp also got his hand on it, but Musgrave was there first, so he gets credited for the block. And he picks it up and, and takes it 27 yards to the house. That's a heck of a way to get your first career touchdown. Uh, and, you know, he, he said after the game, I asked him, did you ever think your first touchdown would come on special teams? And he said, I did not, but <laughs> can't complain because that's the way it happened. And it, it's a good thing it did happen because Oregon State, uh, they, they took off from there. I, yeah. I, think, I think everybody in the stadium could kind of tell once that play happened, Oregon State wasn't going to lose this game. And I was a little concerned because the defense had, j- had to come back on the field then, but um, I think any defense then would be jazzed up and ready to go ahead and go right back on the field. Um, how about Jack Coletto? So um, the TV guys were talking that uh, Whittingham, Kyle Whittingham had said earlier in the week that they'd been watching number 12 and that 88% of the time that he was in, he ran the ball. So what does Oregon State do? They throw it to him. They throw it to him. And I don't, that wasn't designed to go to him actually. Um, I think it was actually designed to go to Musgrave, but he was wide open and why not, you know, toss it to him. But, um, and then he did some Pac-12, um, he was hosting. He came down and uh, is there anything Jack Coletto can't do? Or as he refers to himself in the third person, the hammer. He, um, he I think, has become, I don't know if he's the fan favorite on this team, <laughs> but he's certainly one of them. And he's, I mean, probably the most dynamic player we've seen as long as I can remember. I, I don't think I've ever seen somebody who can make an impact as large as he does in all three facets of the game. You know, like it, it, to be able to to stand back there as a, as a kick returner, given he, he typically just fair catches it, but he's out there nonetheless. He makes tackles in, in, on the coverage team. He comes in at linebacker. He forced a fumble against Utah. He, he 
jarred the ball loose when Cam Rising was running to the right side there and knocked the ball out of the um, out of the field of play. And then he catches a pass for a touchdown after you know recording what five rushing touchdowns to this point on the year. There really it seems like there really isn't anything Coletto can't do because we know he can throw the ball too. Yeah, I mean he's yeah, a he quarterback by quarterback by nature. quarterback fullback. He said he's been in at tight end a few times. Um, yeah. Do you think his the alter ego of the hammer is, is getting bigger than life? Hundred percent, hundred percent. I mean, <laughs> I think he's he really, he's it. really embraced it. He's yes. totally embraced it. His teammates absolutely love it when he comes on the field. Um, BJ Baylor and, and Deshaun Fenwick actually asked a couple of weeks ago. You know, if you're on the one yard line, you get upset when Coletto comes in to run because that's kind of you know that's that's, that's pay dirt yeah. for you. They said no, we we love it. We just we want to score and. You know, Coletto gives us sometimes the best chance to do it. So and it, it started I, off I, I love that cool, everybody's bought into yeah. it. I mean, and, and it started off as just kind of a cool story of a quarterback who wasn't going to make it as a quarterback. So, you know, just he'll roll up his sleeves and do whatever the team needs him to do. But he's really, um, yeah, like I said, he's kind of become bigger in life in this, the hammer. I, I didn't see any tweets from him asking for the hammer, you know, the hammer wants a go beeves or whatever he did a few weeks ago. But um, yeah, he was on Pac-12 Network and was interviewing um, Ashley Adamson, actually, he was, he, that he had come out and said he had all this slew of questions that he had already prepared for her. And, um, yeah, he was just played a game and was ready to come out and, and ask questions. So, um, just, just kind of fun to see. And this team, do you really get the sense that they're having fun? I mean, you, I mean, I look at the wide receiver numbers and there's not one like go-to wide receiver necessarily. I mean, Trevon Bradford had a huge game, but you know, we've all seen Treshawn Harrison have a game. We've seen Lindsay have a game. Um, do you get the idea that there, there isn't there any bitterness that they're not getting the ball? Or do you just see this team as coming together as a team and, and just win whatever it takes? No, it takes a lot of chemistry, maturity, and leadership for something like this to work, where you can have committee approaches at, I mean, pretty much every position. Like, you've got a committee approach at running back. You go committee at receiver even a little bit at tight end because you're using two or three guys. Um, and I mean, nobody seems to be taking it as a slight against them. Yeah. Everybody is just ready when their number is called. And I, I think you see it with a guy like Anthony Gould who only, you know, sees the ball maybe two times a game, let's say. He makes the but most he, of those two. Exactly. I mean, he scored how many touchdowns this year? Like he's, he's ready when his number is called. Tyjon Lindsay, Lindsay is the same way. Treshawn Harrison. Harrison had a huge play for 54 yards in this game. And we know that his snaps have been limited a bit this year. So yeah, I think it's, it is a testament to the the leadership on this team and the, the, the team first mentality that everybody kind of has bought into. Uh, and that's why Oregon state's playing so well. If we're being honest, you know, it's because they have so much talent at pretty much every position this year um, that, guys aren't going to see the field all the time because there is just so much talent and depth across this roster. And so sometimes that can create problems, but when you have guys who are mature enough and you have leaders who have been here in Corvallis for five, six, even seven years now, um, that's what it takes to make it work. And, and they're certainly capitalizing on it for sure. Last week we saw an interview uh, with BJ Baylor and Deshaun Fenwick kind of walks by, but stops. And, and you did, you see, there's two guys that really two top caliber running backs who are competing for, for snaps and minutes and could be, a, I'm not going to say that they would be enemies, but I mean, could be a contentious relationship and that, and they're kind of goofing off together and 
and both of them actually just gave credit to the O-line. So mm -hmm. um, very smart. Somebody better be taking those uh, O-linemen to Sizzler or something. I don't know what's in Corvallis. What's, what's the, the Gables is gone. And I don't even know where the, the hot place I mean, that O-linemen uh, want to eat. American dream, maybe just there get on a large pizza. I think you might need more than one local partner. boys, local, true local boys. Anyway, no, it's, it is fun to see. And then we talk about the even keelness of Jonathan Smith. And I, and I think that's where all this stems from is, is the, um, how, I mean, they're down 14 points to start the game and he looks so unanimated. So just cool. There was one point though, that Alex Austin pass breakup fourth down that I have, that was the most animated I think I've ever seen him. I mean, but it was quick. It was like a throw your arms up, yell, and then back to just totally self-control Jonathan. That was an awesome clip that I saw on Twitter after the game, because <laughs> obviously I was watching the game live in person. So I didn't, you know, see the, the close up that, that the Pac-12 network had broadcast. Um, I was watching the play. I wasn't watching Smith. So yeah, I didn't yeah. see his reaction in the moment, but after I went back and watched it, I said, that's a guy who, you know, on, on the inside, he's thinking, okay, stay calm, stay calm. We got to get ready to, to play offense. But on the outside, he couldn't, he just couldn't hold his excitement back. And um, I think it's cool to see that side of him because you're right. We don't see much of it. He is so uh, even keeled and, and level-headed and that's a good thing. It's hundred percent a good thing. Um, I, I think it's, it, what I said about this team having a bunch of maturity and, and great leadership that starts with his demeanor, 100%. And, and John Canzano actually had a great article this morning talking about that and about uh, his, how even keel he is. And uh, just, you don't get too high on the big wins and you don't get too low on the lows in the, in the big losses. So, um, no, it, it was funny to see though. Sometimes I, I, I mean, I like seeing emotion from the coaches and Oregon State doesn't, I mean, you look across the board and pretty much they're all pretty even keel. They're all just kind of, like I said, that's, that's why they never would do well in a message board. They would never they, it would drive them crazy. So game prep and coaches, we've talked a little bit about this. What, what are your thoughts coming off a of bye week You know, the coaches had hit the road recruiting. Um, Oregon State had a ton about 35 to 40, um, 20 class of 2023 and class of 24 unofficial visitor prospects on, on campus. So um, there'll be more on Beaver Blitz this week with those guys. A couple of guys got some offers. Um, Travis Throckmorton and Cooper Jensen, two commits. So Jensen is part of the class of 2023. Travis Throckmorton is the quarterback commit for 2022, both in attendance, had a blast. Um, but what do you think of the game plan and the game prep the coaches put in well, for this week? I mean, before, before we get into that, I mean, you mentioned it with the recruits. This was a huge recruiting weekend and you had a ton of visitors on campus and what a better thing for them to see than a come from behind victory with a ton of, uh, you know, ton of electricity. The atmosphere was absolutely electric in Reeser. The energy that the team played with in the second half. I mean, those recruits had to be blown away by this game, let alone their, the experience they had on campus and the facilities, you name it. What they saw on the field was just probably the best product we've seen Oregon State football put together in in a very long time at research stadium so i think that's going to go a long way with those guys but game plan wise at first it it did not look good i'll, I'll say that much I again mean, tail of two halves yeah i mean we, we talked about this earlier like what on earth were they doing over the bye week clearly not prepping for utah 
Um, but you know, give give them credit because in game adjustments have not necessarily been the strength of the staff, but I think they did a very very good job of um, figuring out what was working and what wasn't, and you know, kind of taking advantage of what Utah was giving them, and then ultimately the players executed at a high level. But I think the game plan started to kind of fall into place as the thing went on, especially in the second half. Whatever they did in the locker room at this in the second half, uh, it, it really came to fruition. So while it might not have started very, very, uh, it might not have gotten off to the great start, but I think whatever they had in place, uh, the players executed it at a high level as, as the game went on. So let, yeah, talk about, let's talk about momentum. So look, they, they said they were expecting 7,000 students. It looked packed. I mean, it, the rest of the stadium did not look super full. Was this as full as Washington or was the Washington game better attended? The stadium as a whole, I would say it was a little emptier uh, than the Washington game. Student section was not quite as full, but it was, I mean, the overflow section was almost full again, um, but attendance was down just a tiny bit, but it was a lot louder. I'll tell you that much. I mean, the second half, that that blocked punt was the loudest I've heard Reeser in a very long time. And that's saying something considering it was probably you know, slightly above 50% capacity this weekend. Yeah. And that's, and that's like, you talked about momentum on recruiting. And we, that was, we talked about a couple of weeks ago after that loss to Washington state was the, the loss of momentum that Oregon state is garnering this, this momentum beating Washington, beating USC. And then they take a step back with a, a loss on the road to Washington state this week. Now, again, they're back um, big win against a really good team. And, and Oregon state goes head to head with Utah and a lot of recruits, a lot of top recruits, they'll go, um, you know, Dallas um, Bakalahi was on campus a couple of weeks ago has also visited Utah, one of the top D-line commits or recruits. And, uh, you know, you want to build that, that uh, momentum on the recruiting trail with the fans, with the fan base working to get um, the fans excited, donations up, season or ticket sales up. So Oregon State now looking ahead, go, goes on the road two weeks in a row. Carter is actually going to be both games, Cal and Colorado back to back. Um, fired up about it too i'm, I'm I ready know. to see that press box at, at uh in berkeley you know it's one of the newer ones in the conference at every game that we i, I hate to to badmouth research stadium because it's a great atmosphere but that press box if we're being honest is just not very good so i it's really bad. cherish those away games <laughs> where we get to see the newer ones uh and it reminds me that research press box will look like this in two years good so you you weren't with us back before washington had their press box redone but it was horrible. And Cal I've seen the new be, one. Yeah. Yeah. The new one's nice, but the old one was horrible. Cal's was horrible. Cal used to have porta potties out lining the fence at their stadium. It was horrible. Um, so I know that that's, that's been updated. Stanford's used to not be great until they just rebuilt a whole stadium. I mean, heck, why not? You're Stanford. Build a whole new stadium because you can. Um, Beavers, Oregon State will be there. But yes, you're going to Cal, which I, Cal's Cal. I don't know, but Colorado is so much fun. I, I loved Boulder. I went, gosh, probably four or five years ago. It was Dylan Wynn's senior season that I was there. Um, it was so much fun in that town. Boulder is such a cool college town. Um, it's obviously it's not the best college town in the PAC 12, but, um, it, it's a good one. Um, so I'm excited you'll be there and I'm excited for Beaver Blitz fans, uh, that will get your insights the next couple of weeks. So let's just look ahead a little bit. So, or look at the Pac-12. This week, Oregon beat UCLA. 
Okay. And those uniforms were hideous. I don't care if you're not, if you're a duck fan or not, they were hideous. Um, so Oregon beat UCLA that Washington, Arizona game. You and I were texting during that one. That was wow. If they would have lost to Arizona, I seriously think Jimmy Lake would have been fired on the spot. Hey, it looked like Arizona was about to snap that long losing streak there for quite a while. Um, I actually turned the game off at halftime. Um, I, I wasn't too invested in watching potentially the two worst teams in the Pac-12 play each other, but uh, Arizona had a big lead at halftime. And I said, wow, I mean, I, I, I knew Washington was underperforming quite a bit, but I didn't necessarily think that they were terrible. Um, but losing to Arizona would have, that would have probably sealed the deal for Lake, I think. As even though he's very early in, into his tenure, um, I, I just think that that fan base and that athletic department if, if you had gone down and, and lost to Arizona, I, I don't know that Blake kept his job after that. So yeah. good, good for him bouncing back and, and squeaking out a win there. But I, I don't think a five-point win at Arizona is going to be – I don't think that's going to gain the confidence of too many fans. Yeah, and, and Colorado, to be honest, I mean, their offense is horrible. I think Colorado's offense is the worst of the conference. So you, you have those games coming up. Stanford had a bye. Um, USC goes into uh, – Notre Dame loses that one. Washington State loses to BYU. I mean, this conference is kind of kind of crazy. So looking at Oregon State schedule, you got Cal in Colorado, which you'll be at, and then Beavs return home of Stanford and ASU at home before hitting the road to uh, Oregon for what the game that was formerly the Civil War. How do you Beavs need one to be bowl eligible? Where do you think that one comes? Does it come next week? Or this week, I mean, Cal. Well, they're favored. You know, Oregon State is favored by one point. Not that it means anything, because, I mean, we, we know what predictions turn out to be. Um, just look at my staff pick. I was going to say, look at my staff week. picks. <laughs> um, but, yeah, no, I mean, Oregon State's one win away from bowl eligibility, and we're barely halfway into the season. So uh, that's, that's super exciting. I think it Personally, if, if I had to guess, I think it will come this week. I think Oregon State's going to beat California. But if they don't, um, or, Oregon State should, if we're being honest, they should blow Colorado out of the water. I don't think Colorado's good at all. Um, but I, I'll say this. And, and you know, I'm, I'm knocking on wood as I say it, too, because I don't want to jinx anything. But Oregon State's 5-0 and at the games I've attended this year. They're 0-2 at the ones I have not. I'm going to every single game. The rest of the way. So I mean, when yeah, Oregon State's ten going. and two, when you Oregon State's ten and two, no, I wasn't. But I, I told myself <laughs> I had to do it. But when Oregon State's ten and two at the end of the season, they're playing in a New Year's Six bowl as a top ten team. Uh, you can thank me. I, yes, yes, we will thank you, Carter, for taking one for the team, because it's hard. It is a hard life, hitting the road, and and hitting these Pac-12 stadiums. Who had the, because ve- you're vegetarian, who had the vegetarian yeah. meal for you? That was USC. Oh okay. my gosh, that was awesome. <laughs> I'm really hoping that uh, California and Colorado have the same hospitality. Not awesome. expecting it, not expecting it in Eugene. <laughs> yeah, well, maybe though, they're, they can be kind of granola there, but maybe. you should, Cal and Colorado, they should have something veggie for you. I remember we had we'll burgers see. at Colorado we'll at one point and they even had like grilled onions and all kinds of fancy stuff. 
hey, I mean, anything's got to be better than Oregon State at this point. Who has <laughs> used the last? Food? <laughs> Oregon State has used the last year as an excuse to just do away with the whole food thing. Apparently, the the soda machine was down yesterday, and that's literally all Oregon State has now. So, <laughs> no cookies. Whoever's either? in charge? Whoever's in charge? No cookies. No, of course not. Oh, whoever's no. in charge, get on it. I mean, I, yeah. I said this after the game, I, I don't ask for a lot and, you know, we're very lucky to have the access that we do. Um, but I, I don't think I should have to pack a peanut butter sandwich for dinner. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's poor form, poor form. Come on, Oregon State, let's step up the game. Because you used to have the tomato soup with goldfish crackers that was pretty tasty mm-hmm. every week. And I hate, I hate to sound elitist because obviously, you know, fans have to pay for concessions and everything and by all means, they don't have to give us food, but when that's kind of the standard and everybody else does it and you see what other schools are doing, you have to question like, uh, Oregon state, like, can we, can we pick it up a little bit? Like yeah. it's, it's, it's because to be honest, it's not a great look, right? Like it's not a, you, no, you've, it's not. you've got, you've got opposing, um, SIDs and you have, you know, big name reporters coming in from out of town and they see that, you know, Oregon state doesn't have a very nice press box and they're not providing food and, Oh, their elevators get stuck every other game. It's it's just not a great look, but I do expect it. I do expect it to step up in two years when when the West Side is is redone. But yeah, oh, th- those goodness. elevators are they're bad. They're scary. They're they scary. are scary. Like to the point where we'd rather just walk up the bleacher steps. And that's what I did yesterday. Yeah. Well, Carter, we appreciate all you do for Beaver Blitz. It is awesome. Um, coverage has been amazing. If you haven't joined Beaver Blitz, now is the time. Um, get in now because the beeves just continue to keep rolling. And if Carter's going to the rest of the games, we need you to join Beaver Blitz because the lodge has been hopping. Lots of talk about recruiting will be picking up here. I mean, gosh, early signing periods, like 10 weeks away. And because I can now guarantee wins the rest of the way. Oh God, Carter, first. Carter, no, <laughs> knock on wood or something. Do something. <laughs> Go run around the block or something. Okay, Beaver fans, thank you so much for joining this week's Dan podcast. We will be back next week, hopefully talking about another Beaver victory and bowl eligibility. Stick with beaverblitz.com for all the latest on the Oregon State Beavers. <laughs>